Style is the answer to everything. A fresh way to approach a dull or dangerous thing. To do a dull thing with style is preferable to doing a dangerous thing without style. To do a dangerous thing with style is what I call art. Hi, I'm Patrick Hollick. Welcome to another episode of The Love Show. Today, my guest is the multi-talented Luke Watson. Luke is not known for being a writer, a producer, and an artist, and knowing a thing or two about not knowing a thing or two. The good news is he's lined up some of my favorite projects and some very interesting stuff, which we're not going to talk about today. He's definitely can't talk about it, but we're going to talk about a little bit of the content we're seeing, some of the movies we're seeing, and some of the television shows we've been seeing. And uh, we were talking last weekend, and he had some really interesting points of view on some of the shows that I've been currently watching, and we were both excited to see the Tarantino movie, which we both have now. So sit back. This is going to be my attempt at a film and television review with the great Luke Watson. Luke's making his way to the microphone. What's that bottle that you have right there? This is a Master Cleanse bottle. Oh, the Master Cleanse. Yep. Which one is this? The cayenne pepper or no? Cayenne pepper, lemonade, maple syrup, water, and, um, and I got these Topo Chico mineral waters. So you have not listened to the podcast with the great Troy Casey about the Parasite Cleanse. I've not. <laughs> it's on here. <laughs> is yeah, it? Yeah, you got to do the Parasite 40 day. Change your life, gets rid of all the, the stuff, and it also gives you pre-digested vegan amino acids so you lose no muscle tissue when you're at zero. So your, your muscles are fine and your fat's getting attacked. Really? It's the best, yeah. And it's a 40-day cleanse? 40, 10's hard. I'd say five days of the, of the 10 are hard, and then 30's just relearning everything with meals. Really? Yeah, change your life. On those 30 days, are you actually eating food? Yes, you are. You're eating just, uh, you go no GMO, no gluten, no dairy, no sugar. Basically, you spend 900 a week at Erewhon and you're all good. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> this is, uh, well, that's, that's not as real as what I'm doing right now because what I'm doing right now is 30 days on yeah. this master cleanse. It's the only thing I defer on that is that you go down to a place where your muscle starts getting eaten. That's the only disagreement I have with most cleanses. Agreed. You got to do these pre-digested aminos. So the muscles are going, I'm fine, but the fat's going, what are you doing to me? <laughs> well, I'm clearly so buff, I could afford to lose a few you muscles, buff. as you could tell. Um, thanks so much for having me today, bud. We're excited to have you. Because you and I were speaking last week, and it was just one of those porch conversations, which is why I kind of started the show. Yeah, smart. It's because I have very interesting people like yourself, they come over and they tell me profound little things, and I go, what? what? A week later, it's misinterpreted, and what did they do? They had a dog? And you're like, no, that's not at all what he said. <laughs> but start. Starting with, let's start in television. Um, yeah, what were we talking we about? We were talking about oh. the current show a friend of mine's on called Euphoria. Yeah. And you had a whole interesting point of view of it. And I just wanted to go back into your thoughts on it because you had some very interesting insight on it. Well, first of all, Eric Dane's awesome. He's in my fantasy football league. And <laughs> uh, he's actually, 
He's actually strangely one of the funniest guys. I'm going to try to get him on the show you when should. he has a day off. He's He'd be in way Europe. more interesting and intelligent to talk about anything. No, than he's doing a he's doing some movie in Europe, but his career's on fuego again. Yeah, he's which done, is great. Yeah. I mean, as it should be. He's got he's got crystal blue eyes and a super handsome face and a great voice, buddy, and a great voice. Um, and he's also a really good actor. And and he uh, and it's it's all, he he'd also be great because as you know, he's. He doesn't look like he would be funny, and no. he doesn't portray funny people on. He's television a hard film. one. He's like oysters. Yeah, but, you don't but, know but, until you enjoy the taste. You got to figure but then it he's out. Hilarious. Yeah, he actually has like a it wicked takes sense layers. of humor. Yeah, yeah. But you uh, had some thoughts on well, the yeah, show so and the format. All, I, I'm super. We were talking about it because I'm I'm super stoked for for Eric because it's a great part and it's a super high profile show and uh, and I love that for him and uh, for you know. The 250 crew who all have, you know, work to like, you know, pay the bills for their families and stuff. It's all awesome. Yeah. But I have a pretty, I don't know, man. I don't want to shit on it, but I just. It's not shitting. Here's the thing. I don't really, I don't really dig the idea of the show. I don't really dig the idea of of the existence of the show. Mm -hmm. And, And this is just my opinion which doesn't mean anything, especially because nobody out there knows who I am. But like my viewpoint with you that we were talking about, since you asked me on your porch, I'll tell you here on your podcast. This is a show about teenagers Mm -hmm. being made by like people my age Mm -hmm. and older. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really so far to me. And I, and I stopped watching it. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll turn a corner. But what I saw in the beginning of the show where I just went, well, I'm really not having this is that it's a brutal depiction of everything that can be awful about being a teenager in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that is of any benefit. Meaning it's, you know, for for them to say this is not a show for kids and for Zendaya to come out and be like, hey kids, you know, that are my fans and have followed me since my Nickelodeon and Disney days, you know, this is not for you. Every one of them is gonna tune in to watch of her on course. that show. We want what we are not supposed of to course, see. Of course, right? And so the thing is, is. Th- I just don't think it's 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 very. Uh, I just I think it's damaging stuff, man. I think that there's. Um, I think that there's. It's really beautifully shot. Yeah, it's, no, it looks like Harmony Corinne directed by the staff at Chanel or YSL. Yeah, it's beautifully shot. It's super aesthetic. Um, everybody in it's really good. I just think it's there's some point there's some point to me where I go where do you draw a line on like setting an example and like the impression that you're leaving on kids? Because I don't buy the argument that this is like, Oh, we're just keeping it real. We're just telling kids stories here. It's like, no, you're 50 year old men telling kids stories. You're exploiting, you're really Mm -hmm. exploiting. And my thing is, I think in any show that has darkness, and even if you're going to have a teenage show with a lot of conflict and darkness and issues that a lot of these kids have, you got to set it against the contrast of, light mm-hmm. and what's good and what's normal or what is functional because it's that balance of things that it, we find in every corner of life and when you don't show that balance you wind up having a tv show like the second season of not to digress but the second season of of true detective mm-hmm. which was a pile of shit and the mm-hmm. reason why that show was a pile of shit was because there was no sense of goodness anywhere uh-huh even the good people. Is that people the one that with uh, Vince Vaughn? Mm hmm. Uh huh. And who was the other star? Colin Farrell and, and uh, Rachel McAdams right. and, and Taylor Kitsch were all great actors and actresses. But, like, that show 
like from a creation standpoint, which I guess I put on Vince Pitts a lot, although I've never met him before, but mm-hmm. like... Did he do the third season? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a brilliant writer, but that second season, it's like there's no decency. There's no real goodness or decency in anybody. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's forcing all of this darkness and all this pathos and all these like really fucked up qualities in people mm-hmm. on everybody, mm-hmm. even the best people, where it makes me pause and go, does this guy even like human beings? Like It seems like he right. doesn't even like people yeah. with the kind of characters he writes. And so that's my thing with these kids and Euphoria is I'm like, you know, I know it comes from a show that was originally written by an Israeli guy and, and that I think it aired in, in Tel Aviv, the Israeli version. And the rights got I didn't bought. know there was an Israeli version. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was it called? Do you know? I don't speak Hebrew. No, we'll have to look it up. <laughs> but, you know, the rights got bought and it got developed and turned into a show here in the States. And Drake blessed it with his name and yada, yada, uh-huh. or whatever. And, you know, Sam Levinson, like, took the helm. But... Who it's, is uh, Barry Levinson, Rain Man director's son? Right. His son, okay. yeah, yeah. He did a he did a film that got a lot of buzz. I know Turin, the uh, through mutual friends. One yeah, of did the you producers. see his movie Assassination Nation? I did. I didn't love that movie. I thought like the first act was like uh, a couple of people were like, "Go see it." The first act, I was like, "Oh, what is this?" And then the second act was like, "What?" And then the third act went into like outer space, which is typical for a lot of filmmakers. I think I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't dig it i felt like it was very like it was stylish stylish yeah but it didn't have any depth or substance Mm -hmm. to me but that's my opinion i do wish there was a way to temper it or do something for the sake of teenagers because i just think that young teenagers as advanced as they are they're still so impressionable very yeah And, and i think that when they're seeing content that's being put in their face saying this is a very beautiful, romanticized, aesthetic world. It's kind of Wizard of Oz. It's, it's uh, of, a beautiful of your, backdrop yeah, of, of addiction, sexuality. Yeah, the, yeah. The, this, is a, this is a super romantic, beautiful, aesthetic universe that is highlighting the issues that you and your classmates are going through. So at the end when it says, don't do these things at home, that's not enough, maybe. <laughs> no, because you kind of start to, I think maybe some kids start to go, no, this is really cool. Right. And no, those things aren't really cool. Yeah. Those issues are not really cool at all. Oh, they're not they're not desirable things. It's and also almost like an avatar portrayal of a pop culture teenage life. It's almost so heightened and so big and there you're only seeing the snippets of the winning or the uh, high or the colors or yeah. the sex or the, you know. Totally. Not the downtime so to speak. I mean, you have these little uh, bits. I've been watching. I'm like I'm all the way current in it yeah. right now yeah it, it, did it does it turn does it get a little better does is there a little more well so far in space in so it, far or? spoiler alert she's she's gotten sober and now she's learning that she might be bipolar and that's what's okay. going on in it and okay. uh, her her portrayal as an actress at first i didn't know what to make of her i didn't know if she can handle things but i'd have to say after the detective element she gets bipolar and she starts becoming this detective and manic and drinking coffee and staying up all night saying how great she feels and it collapses but she actually interested me as an actress for the first time in her transition from what i had seen in the first four or five episodes to the new episode because she totally flipped and was compelling as Mm -hmm. this one thing so in that sense it was good but not a big change in the um visuals and the portrayals of addictions teenagers and all that no um that's still you know 
what you probably got from the first episode? Well, look, that's great to hear. I mean, again, here's the thing. I'm one of those guys who, who I root for art to be great. I know and you I, do. And I root for actors and writers and producers to do great stuff. And by the way, like... I dream of the day where I make something where some person I've never met before is on a podcast shitting on something that I made because I'll be like, wow, I really did <laughs> it's something. It's not shitting you know? to have an opinion on something, yeah. you know? Well, I appreciate you saying that because that's the thing. is, I, I, I'm not even trying to shit on it. In a way, I guess what I was really trying to say on your porch is, is like, I was really affected and conflicted by the existence of the show, meaning on one hand, like that there's something so aesthetic and something that can be so powerful and that is such an instant hit and yet at the same time makes me so afraid for its impression on teenagers. Yeah. And I go, where's the responsibility line versus the artist line? I get it. It's like, take caution in what you're throwing out. It's like, you know, McDonald's may taste really good, but 20 minutes later, you got a really upset stomach. Right. And it's almost visual McDonald's in a sense. It's giving you all the... It's uh, perversion, narcotics, it's uh, pedophilia, it's, it's you know, yeah. all those things. Uh, so it is, is good to be like, well, I have something to say about this. <laughs> right. But by the way, like you're friends with Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, and mm-hmm. Paul... I Which, mean- by the way, let me interrupt, there's a huge tribute, whether, I don't know if it's going to be admitted to or not, but there's a Magnolia tribute where there's a festival episode that's totally Magnolia where all the characters have this undergrowing um, score. And it's it's such a romantic uh, Magnolia when the characters are wrapping up in the later acts. It's a complete... I like Paul Anderson moment, uh, the festival episode. I don't know if it's three or four, which is, I was like, oh my God, why have I seen this? Why is this going on? I go, oh, it's Paul's Magnolia. That's incredible. It was a trivia. Okay, how random that I... <laughs> Whether they mention it or not. Well, this is kismet or this is just random that I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know which, but that the fact that I just happened to bring him up because what I was going to say is he's a total artist. Sure. He doesn't compromise or question the quote-unquote responsibility of what he's putting out there no he's i think that he's going no because i'm not making disney movies and i'm not making things that are gonna you know make a hundred million dollars in the box office so Mm. i don't expect everybody to be bringing their kids to the theater to see my movies because they're not event movies it's art and and so he can be as specific and he can be as challenging and and is uncomfortable is is and he he is very one of one you know what i mean like he's that guy that's telling such personal truths and like all of the characters i grew up with him and i've seen all of us are in these characters some of our dialogue some of he's really taking from his own life which i guess is the sign of you know high art or true art is to really make it your story even you know if it's interpreted differently i buy that And, and on that note so here's what i say Sometimes the boundaries have to be pushed and things have to cross a line in order for things to evolve and develop, meaning that maybe we're getting there with television. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. what Sam Levinson and these guys are doing with Euphoria is they're making like a real art TV series. I don't know if I feel like this one's art. Yeah, by the way, I'm not sticking with the show (laughs) because for my own reasons, I don't like want to support it and I don't want to contribute to it. But what I'm saying is with the aesthetics and with the performances and with things that are going like pushing boundaries and pushing the envelope, Mm -hmm. you know, and again, you know, God bless Eric Dane and so stoked for him because he's great on the show. He's really good on it. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, is maybe it's hitting a point of art on television where television is so accessible that if Sam could, maybe he would have made this 
a limited release television series kind sure. of thing, the way that Paul Thomas Anderson makes a film. Do you feel like in the new generation that this is a this is a different conversation? But do you feel like the cable market is where indie films? So if Reservoir Dogs was today, yeah. or Hard Eight was today, it would be HBO, Showtime, or Amazon or 100%. something. 100%. So that's an interesting thing. Hundred percent. Yeah, like like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Ryan Reynolds, they're on network television, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. Harmony Corinne and, and Shia LaBeouf and, and Gosling and guys like that, they're, they're generally on cable. Like right. That's, th- that. Did you see Beach Bum? The Beach Bum? Yeah. You did? What was your thought? I thought it was this fun. This is Harmony's man. movie. I know. You know what's funny is I think I just kind of looked at it and I thought it was just kind of fun. I, I, li- I went to college in Florida uh-huh. and there's just, I think there's something really interesting between Spring Breakers and Beach Bum where like, cool, Harmony's like spending some time down in Florida. He's really soaking up that <laughs> sort of white trash counterculture, you know? Yeah. Um, also the new Harmony, which is, I believe, sober mm-hmm. and I believe a little chubby, a yep. little rough around the edges and not living where is he somewhere in the midwest in a simple house he's somewhere not i don't think he lives in florida i think he lives somewhere else no i think he does live in the midwest but i think he's obviously spent some time down in florida and so anyways to answer your question i think that beach bum was fun to me Mm -hmm. to me it was just fun because Mm -hmm. i guess for me i remembered those guys Mm -hmm. i remember seeing those guys and i think that he is so interested in different types of people Um, and slice of their life mm -hmm. into some narrative and I think he kind of did that with Beach Bum. And look, man, it, it, he's an artist, so it all looks really beautiful. The word artist totally fits. Like, back to the Euphoria saying it might be art, I say no. I say a guy like Harmony, like him, not like him, making it work, not making it work, like from Miss Lonely to Mr. Lonely to this. I feel like I'm really glad in today's world Harmony Corinne exists. Yeah. Because without the harmonies, I feel like it's a big N for Netflix or a big content binge watch. With him, I watched Beach Bum and I was like, I was really happy. It's it's flawed. Everything he does. But it was able I was able to turn my brain off and go, Wow, McConaughey really went the distance and uh, what's his name's comeback was phenomenal as the as the captain that drove the, the fishing boat, what was his name? Uh, from the major television show, Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Martin Lawrence. Everyone was just like really Amazing. Yeah. Just the ability to be able to be indulgent on that level. Yeah. And visually enticing. Yeah. And slice of life you're not thinking about i'm always glad um there's harmonies which leads us to quentin tarantino's film which is something i wanted to talk to you about because i feel like we're talking about paul we're talking about harmony you talk about quentin there's only a few guys that are left that are allowed to make um maybe main stage uh indulgent pictures like, I don't know too many. There's the Coen brothers, uh, there's Paul, there's Quentin, name a few. I mean, there's only a few that get a real number. Harmony yep. still does, and he'd probably yell and say, bro, I still get 10 cents for my movies. I remember him yelling at a friend of ours in front of one of his screenings, I think it was Julian Donkey Boy or something, where he was like, motherfucker, you make Nike commercials. That's That budget's more than I had for this movie, you know? <laughs> so he's still struggling to get his ends met. <laughs> But thank God he does. But in the new world, I mean, I'm glad these guys are there.
leading to Quentin. What did you think about I've Once seen it twice. Upon a Time? You've seen it twice. I wanted to see it twice. I've only seen it I've once. I've seen it twice already. It's amazing. Yeah. There's mixed reviews, man. Some uh, you people I'm surprised hate it, and some people I'm surprised who hate like it, it can go fuck themselves. <laughs> That's my honest opinion. Right. Here's the thing: it's yeah, the people who are, are not saying it's great. Are, are stupid <laughs> and that's that and that's the fact i mean i'm gonna tell you why i think it's incredible mm-hmm. is that first of all this is his ninth film and as you were just saying he is such an artist he is so like he's quentin in he's every quentin, way man he just he writes so true to himself and his voice and he and he shoots it that way, and he casts who he wants, and he can get the biggest movie stars in the world. Sometimes, two of them in the same movie, a la Leo and Brad, which was crazy, which is crazy. Yeah. But at the same, this is time, a modern day Heat with De Niro and uh, Pacino. For know? sure, <laughs> it is. It really is. It, it, that's a good analogy. But he also can be like, or I'll have Robert Forster star in a movie. Great actor. Like, great actor but yeah. like that guy couldn't have gotten arrested for years before he that's paul with him. philip baker hall it's right like, th- th- these guys are like that they get like it. they just truly that sense of integrity of being like integrity is not like hey check me out as i'm staying on a soapbox and showing how i'll defy everybody mm-hmm. that's not integrity integrity is actually quietly sitting there and going i love who i love and i don't need anybody else's agreement that's that's who they are like there's so much integrity with that dude for nine films and i by the way I love Quentin. I don't love every one of his movies. Sure. Right? I'm not a Kill Bill fan, and I get yelled at all the time I about get, it. I get yelled at for that, too. You don't like Kill Bill as I much like as I... I like it. I like it, but I don't yeah, love but it. people are like, I hope he does the last one as I part saw three. Kill Bill 1 and 2. It's like, that was cool. All right, cool. I got not it. me. I couldn't get there. By the way, didn't didn't need to see him again. Mm-hmm. I'm. I will be. I will live a completely content life if I never see those two movies again. <laughs> yeah. I don't regret seeing them. They weren't bad. No. They're good. It's just was, not for me. There was genre. cool things about them, but it just wasn't really for me. By the way, some people love Jackie Brown. I liked it. Yeah. You know, there was things I loved about it, but I liked it. But there's also things where I'm like, eh. Yeah. Most of his films I really like a lot. Sure. A few of his films I love, mm-hmm. and I have to say. Once Upon a Time in America, I love. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you a few reasons why. Can I let's, do that? Let's hear it. Okay. One thing is, and I really caught this the second time, is Leo is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He's, un- he's the best fucking movie star in the world, hands down. Mm. Somebody might say, well, what about Daniel Day-Lewis? Well, Daniel Day-Lewis is not a better movie star than Leo DiCaprio, because Daniel Day-Lewis has no levity. And Daniel Day-Lewis can go become a cobbler for five years to then go and, like, you know, make a movie where he's a cobbler. Right. But he can't go be the charming, larger-than-life guy. Right. He can't go, you know, take on all the stars and the lights and the the, the brightness and, and embrace it all. Mm-hmm. That's not who he is as an actor. So you want a guy who can just go method and just turn into somebody and disappear, and you're just like, wow, that guy's unbelievable? Yeah, it doesn't get better than Daniel Day-Lewis. However, Leo can do a good bit of that. A good bit. I and, think he's more memorization and familiarity than he is doing the suffering, can, eating candy can, bars. And, did, like, do you remember what's eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, absolutely. He like, came in really strong. Now, by the way, that just doesn't interest him anymore. And he's not going to like 
pick roles to be like, ooh, people will give me more credibility and think like see how like dark and like you know deep I can get in a character and how much I can disappear if I go place somebody like that. I think that. his attempt at that was the reverent, which got him the award. I think he really wanted the award, and I think he got it. Because now he maybe the pressure's a little bit off, or it's on in his. I don't know. But you know, I don't want to digress too much. But I don't. I'm sure any artist who feels like especially if they're hearing it from a lot of other people, you should have gotten this, you should have gotten this, you should have gotten this. You're only human. At some point, you kind of go like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to get one. So I'm sure he was really happy to get the award for Revenant, for sure. Mm -hmm. But but I kind of disagree. I don't don't think he went to do that movie to get an award. I think that he can work with the best actor, the best directors and the best filmmakers in the business, and he does. Mm -hmm. I think he's a huge fan of Inuratu, and he was like, wow, this is super crazy and, and, and this is a really intense, beautiful thing and I want to do that. I want to stretch those boundaries. I want to go there as an mm-hmm. actor and, and, he, and he did. But here's, here's a really interesting thing about him. If you think about being the biggest movie star in the world. I'm going to say Tom Cruise. No, Leo's bigger. <laughs> Leo's bigger. No. Leo's bigger. Leo's bigger. And, 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 and here's the thing, and I love Tom Cruise. And, yeah. and, and Tom Cruise is, is just... <laughs> and he, on paper, has worked with every director in the universe, except, I think, Woody Allen at this point. Right. So, and by the way, he's also like 50-something. And sure. he's just like unstoppable doing yeah. his own stunts. He's a maniac. <laughs> so, so but, but Leo's in his own thing in that he gets the most at the box office, it seems, yet... He doesn't do movies with The Rock. He doesn't do movies with, you know, uh, Zack Snyder. No, it's been very thought he out. He does and movies with like auteur artist filmmakers. Yeah, he's worked with Spielberg. Yeah, he's Scorsese's golden child. He's worked with him, you know, six times. I like times. that partnership. It's that two people that need each other. That, you that, know what very I mean? Very symbiotic. They're yeah. like the Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Yeah, you need each other. For Marty sure. couldn't do what he does without the finance of what Leo like brings. Like Bill Belichick couldn't win the Super Bowls without Tom Brady, and Tom Brady couldn't win the Super Bowls without <laughs> well Bill Belichick. Said, yeah. I mean, they, they, they really are that. They're like the perfect team. But... Here's what's interesting. He doesn't need that to go win Super Bowls like Tom Brady does with Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm making a movie football you know, comparison. But, it works. But it works because Leo goes and does a movie with Quentin Tarantino and he knocks it out of the park. I mean, you go to the Arclight right now. Mm-hmm. There's nine theaters in Arclight that are all dedicated to Once Upon a Time wow. in America. Showing I it saw it at the Cinerama the Dome in 70 millimeter. It was really beautiful. It, it's incredible. So, so anyways, I, this isn't to just talk about how great Leo is, but this is what I want to say about the film mm-hmm. of why the film's so great in, in his role in it is this. Think about all the Quentin Tarantino movies you've seen and ask yourself, when was there a leading character who had visually obvious battles with himself confliction internal conflict with himself mm-hmm. you don't see that mm-hmm. you know what you don't see also is learning lines that was the first time i remember a film showing an actors having to go home and work on their lines even if they had comical elements it never is really brushed well it's commentary and insight into hollywood is sure. timeless i mean that you're right Showing learning lines. Yeah, like I got to go home, man. I got to learn my lines. Which, by the way, if this is a spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but you're going to know what I'm talking about. The scene where he's sitting there and he's in the middle of it 
and it's intense and he's playing the heavy and he forgets his lines yeah. and he's calling for the line and he gets it back and then he has the meltdown yes. and then he comes back and then he's like overacting to almost compensate to try to get it back the nuances of modulation there are so impossible <laughs> they are so impossible that no other actor on this planet yeah. could have done that. Well, he's been, he's probably been there and he's just sharing with Every you. Every actor's it's been like there. The That's what's crazy. Yeah, but he shared it. But he shared cool. it. Yeah. And the way that he shared it. Okay, so, so, so here's what I'm getting at though with the, with the thing with conflict is that the humanizing aspect of a, of a main character in cinema is often seeing them having some internal conflict. And somehow, one of the things about Tarantino's movies is that you rarely see much internal conflict with his lead characters. Sure. You see a conflict with the outside world or with another opponent or with a villain or even a good guy or with whatever, and maybe some verbalized conflict with themselves and just like, do I go left or do I go right? You know, Bruce Willis has a little conflict in Pulp Fiction. That, that's fine. But to have a lead character throughout the movie where most of the conflict is actually really with himself an internal conflict that's new that's new and i and so what i'm getting at is i feel like this movie is an evolution for quentin tarantino and the fact that this is his ninth film there's been eight films that arrived at this place right and it's a bit of his opera it is it I is i felt like opus. django was his opera but i really enjoyed the film <laughs> I really enjoyed Django too. Yeah. I thought Django was incredible. But, I was scratching my but, head. But there's there's another thing about Once Upon a Time in a, in, in Hollywood that it was really beautiful, which was that again I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to go full spoiler alert. But you're going to remember it. The end. Yeah. Wasn't there a sense of like warmth? Yeah. Wasn't there a sense of like? It was a love story in the sense where he did with Jackie Brown. He wanted to bring Pam Greer back and say I love you. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a cute dork's portrayal of a love story. Right. An outsider from a video store that's like, I love you. Uh. <laughs> right. Th this, th and it's felt. Th th well, so that what I love, that's a really good point. And, and I think to that point, this is, again, an evolution from there because this, you have the love of neighbors. You have the love of best friends. Mm -hmm. You have the love of what? There's like, the different avenues of love and you kind of feel it all this like warmth and appreciation which is really i think somebody who's less of an artist that would have felt very hokey mm -hmm. i think it would have felt really it would have felt overly sentimentalized and things that. like that and this had none of it this was really it was perfect yeah i also think what was really incredible about this story was that he he captured so much of that time period mm -hmm. that felt so authentic. You just believed it was authentic. And yet it felt completely relevant and completely current and timeless, even for today. Mm -hmm. Movies like that always win, in my heart, mm -hmm. in my opinion. The, the last thing that was really amazing was I think I went into it kind of going, oh man, who's going to be like Leo, Brad? Are they going to be like stealing scenes? They're going to be like, you know, how's that going to work? Like right. the two-hander of these two guys. And what was so incredible, which again, I think you have to not only give a lot of credit to both actors, but you have to give a lot of credit to Quentin for creating that culture or atmosphere is you really bought that they were best friends. 
Mm-hmm. And there was no scene where I felt like any one of them was like fighting to steal the scene no, from the other. No, which is hard because he so got so much. Do. Yeah, I which think Brad so was. Uh, I put Brad on equal tier. I felt like he played. He had less to grab onto in a sense, but he played it really, really clear. And he just came. His beat was just right down the line to me. And I think it had less color his part, but his part did. But I felt like they were neck and neck doing their best work, and I don't think the ego... Again, it's like you can't have another director with those two guys that close to each other. It has to be a guy that's on par and understands sensibilities and what's going on in the bigger picture and isn't afraid probably to throw a note here and there, which I don't think anyone would have outside of Quentin. Totally. You know what I mean? But to your point, this is I I agree completely about Brad because he was the next thing I was going to say was that he was incredible. Incredible. He was subtly incredible yeah in fact the rhythm and humor he created by his own cadence and timing (laughs) that he brought to every one of his scenes Mm -hmm. made those scenes so impressionable and so incredible and so classic and so this is like you know a a really great actor who i'm uh, good friends with who I, i won't name names or name drop here but an incredible actor uh, he and i went and saw the movie the second time i saw it mm-hmm. it was his first time and he's and this was so poignant and perfect he was like you know it's almost like leo had such crazy stuff written for him and he knocked it out of the park and it's like brad had such a lack of crazy stuff written for him and he knocked it out of the park yeah that's well said and that's the testament to both actors of what they did. And it is a yin and yang. It is such a nice thing. You have to have space and you have to have matter. And so Leo had a lot of matter. Brad had a lot of space. And that, yeah. that, that matter fit in that space. And, and it, it was so complimentary. It's very obvious to me now. I don't know why it took me so long to finally accept it and admit it. But Margot Robbie is the most beautiful woman alive. I mean, that's <laughs> She's just a very fact. pretty. No, that's just who's prettier than that. I mean, that's just, <laughs> sorry not to objectify, but I am only human. I, it's unbelievable. She's just an angel from heaven. I mean, you yeah. literally look at her. And what was really cool was she was used as such. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like Quentin saw her like that too. And she kind of works as this like angel f- spirit or figure through the movie. Sure. I. I don't know. Do we want to talk about the, the the revisionist history? Is that too much of a spoiler? Do we get into that? <laughs> what is uh, it? What? Well, you know, the way that the movie ended and what happened with the Hanson family. He likes to do revisionist history, right? He yeah. like killed Hitler and and in in Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. Okay. He well, Hitler. so so there's something about the revisionist history that. Uh, that happens in this movie. I won't say what that is because I don't. I feel like that'll spoil it too much for anybody listening who hasn't seen the movie. But I will say one thing. You know what I'm talking about, and mm-hmm. anybody who watches the movie and comes back and listens to this podcast, if that even happens, will then know what I'm talking about. There was a really interesting message that was so subtle, and I don't know if it was intended. And if it was intended, it was really small, but I felt it, and my friend felt it, and a couple other people I talked to who saw the movie felt it too. And maybe this is the beauty of art where you can see something and you can find something personal that you put into the art mm-hmm. and it actually didn't even come from the artist. Like Miller's Crossing, you know, when the Coen brothers were interviewed about, you know, Miller's Crossing, oh, the fedora in the wind flying, you know, through the trees. Like, was that a symbolism of like, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, it actually just like 
it was windy that day and the hat went flying. We're like, oh, that looks really pretty. We should get that on camera. <laughs> right. you know. But audiences, we put our meaning into those things. Sure. So I guess what I'm saying is that's the beauty of art, right? Is that we can also, we can contribute our own communications, our own symbolism, our own meaning in things. And one thing that I don't know if it was me contributing it or if this was intended by Quentin, but I will say a number of my friends who saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood all thought the same thing. So it makes me think Quentin wanted this a little bit. There's a little bit of a sliding doors factor in that around the midpoint of the movie when Leo's having his meltdown and he could go left and he could go right. He went right and he stuck to it. And that path led to everywhere it went to and he went to Italy and he went to all, the, did all these things and he comes back in a certain way to be in a certain mindset, to have a certain celebration, to then have everything occur the way that occurred. Right. And then that changes history. Had he gone the other way, he would have been gone. And then that family would have come. Yeah. And history would have gone down just the way it went down. Right. So my point is, is there was also a certain thing to me about like the power of small moments that we make in our own lives that we might think are just for ourselves, that we might think are selfish. But if they're the right thing, it might affect somebody who we don't know or who we hardly know in a way that we would never imagine. No, that's fascinating. And there's something yeah. really like... As I get older, I just obsess on exactly that. But that's... So I don't know if that's Quentin getting older. I don't know if that's all of us getting older. I don't, but, but I guess what I'm saying is it's like, in terms of evolution, those deeper levels of edification are so wrought in this movie with it also just sitting back with your coca-cola and your popcorn and your your you know your candy mm -hmm. laughing out loud mm -hmm. and just enjoying it i mean it's it's so entertaining and yet it's got it's got these levels to it and i just think it's a fucking triumph and i think i thought so too. and i think and i think that that you know, there was one person who was telling me like, no, dude, I really, really liked it, but it wasn't. And then he was comparing it to certain sure. things from other yeah, movies yeah, of Quentin yeah. Tarantino. And I'm like, man, that's a losing battle. You just can't do that because right. you're also talking about where you were at that time in your life and where that movie was and when it came out, what was happening in cinema And your that beliefs time. and interpretations spilled in the mix. For sure. Like, here's the thing. Pulp Fiction is one of the most important movies in modern cinema because you look at everybody who tried to bite off of that movie forever and still does like how much that impinged and affected storytelling and other filmmakers and style and everything. Okay. Well, it was probably more important of a film to cinema, more influential, I should say mm -hmm. of a film to cinema than this movie will be. I can actually probably guarantee you that this will not be as important of a film to the influence on cinema as Pulp Fiction was. Mm -hmm. However, take influence away. You as an individual, your own direct connection with art and with what you're observing. Watch this movie and watch this movie side by side and tell me that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is any less of a triumph than Pulp Fiction. You're fucking lying. No yeah, chance. That's true. No chance.
What else are you watching? Well, there's a movie I can't wait to see, which is uh, uh, I'm going to the premiere of in two nights from now, actually. We're um, going to have you back and do more. I want to... We'll do it. it? Um, it's called Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay. Is that Shia's movie? It is. A friend of mine saw it. She liked his role, I think, more than the film itself. I think she yeah. thought that he really was at a place in his life where his commitment to his his acting and, and his portrayal of the character was like, it, it, she's known him, they're, they're, they're personal friends. Okay. And she said he's really, really evolved, you know? Well, he seems incredible in it. Dakota Johnson, sweetheart, she seems incredible in it. The kid, you know, the, the, the kid with Down syndrome, I believe he has. Mm-hmm. He really has Down syndrome, correct? Yeah. yeah, and he is magical. He looks just magical. Like, I got choked up and smiling all at the same time just watching the extended trailer. So, I can't wait for that You have to premiere. come back and talk about uh, it. I'll come is back there and any talk TV about or anything that's out yeah. that you've seen? You've been watching Barry, right? No, I haven't. I watched about the, I'd say the first three episodes didn't get pulled into the first season. So, you need to keep going. Really? Yep. Yeah. And by the way, here I am. Could it be a hypocrite? I'm saying you need to keep going. Maybe I need to keep going on Euphoria. You know, maybe I need to keep going on oh, Euphoria. Oh, whatever. Yeah, but because I only watched the, the, the first couple. But Barry is so good yeah. that it's the kind of thing that you both, some episodes, I would literally look at my laptop and go, do I want to sit down because I'm so inspired to write? Or do I want to open the window and chuck my laptop out the window onto the street and watch and Barry it smash below? And Barry makes you below? feel that way? Yeah. Okay. It's it's incredible. Did I don't you did was it's it so was it something that starts happening after the first few or yeah yeah okay because yeah. I quit I, I'd about, say it's about three. It's about episode three or four. Where all of a sudden you're like whoa yeah, I and then you realize it's going to go places. I've been um, watching so much stuff. Like, did you see um, Chernobyl? Unbelievable, unbelievable. I think that raises the bar for a lot. That of raises cable. the bar across the boards. Mm-hmm. You know what? That is art and television. Well, it's like nine movies. Yeah, so maybe that's why it gets to be that way. <laughs> and maybe that was also another purchase, right? That was something from Sky Television in Europe, or yep. and didn't it pre-play there? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, think it was Sky a... Television originally. I think it was a purchase, but that's art. I mean, that's just incredible. Crazy. And powerful. Yeah. And uh, th- I mean, I, 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 it's like Have speechless. you watched CNN on the movies? That's fun. The Tom I Hanks produced yet. doc. Is it good? Yeah, I really enjoyed the 70s and the 2000s so okay. far. I've been watching that. I watched the, the 70s came out Sunday night. I don't know how many more are left, but the 2000s and the 70s so far were my favorite ones. Paul's in it. Uh, Paul does interviews. Spielberg does interviews. Everyone does talking head interviews about their favorite filmmaker. It's funny because Steven will talk about Paul and Paul will talk about Steven's films and it's just perfectly you know, organized. Only That's like amazing. Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom Hanks can call such favors. You know what I mean? Of course. <laughs> uh, wait, I'm totally in. So CNN on movies. I'm going to watch it. CNN, it's called The Movies or At The Movies or something. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, it's um, fun. Oh, did you see Booksmart? Yes, I did. I don't know. 
I'm on you the fence now. Oh, I no. thought the movie. I was like so everyone fun. involved. Everyone involved. School. Brian Ling. He was a guest of the show. He did the soundtrack. He um, crushed it with the soundtrack. To me, it was. Uh, you know, it was. A, it was. A, I felt like soft porn, super bad. You know, it was just like it was cute for a first movie. She she had I'm telling, off, man, She did great. I'm telling you, for a directorial debut, I think Olivia Wilde Next knocked level. it out of the park. Yeah. I, I I think it's the subject matter. Yeah. It's like uh, I can't watch certain things because I don't really get it or I yeah, don't care. That's, that's I watched fair. it all the way through. I thought it was that's fun. Fair. I didn't think it was some amazing thing. You know. No, here's the thing. I think it was. I think it was perfect for what it intended to be. Mm-hmm. I think it was intended to be a really fun movie made by a woman for young girls, but that it's fun enough that like guys can come along with their girlfriends and watch it too. Mm-hmm. And I went and saw it and. I laughed. I mean, the first scene where you see those girls and she gets out of her car and she's pop locking and the other girl that she's picking yeah, up that's is pop locking. Yeah. I was like, I'm in. I love these girls. You know who my favorite person to listen to on film reviews even after I see them or before is Brett Easton Ellis. Oh, he wow. wields like a, a heavy knife and um, I think I agree with him about, I'd say 90% of the time. Yeah. He really hammers it in. He does? <laughs> He's one of my only, the only thing podcasts I listen to. I actually pay for it on Patreon. You know, I think, I think the thing that, that made it me say what I said with a heavy heart even about you four is because again, it's like in general, you know, you ever go to a, a movie set or a TV set of even a bad movie even a shitty TV I can show, enjoy that you go wow man this is a lot of people working their ass off to make this come together mm-hmm. it's hard to make mm-hmm. a movie it's hard to make a TV show so when somebody makes like a decent movie or TV show I think that we get so spoiled because there's so much content out there and we can get it all with like the press of a thumb you know on one remote done we can watch anything we want to watch at any given time that we wind up extending this gradient scale of what we consider our top and what we consider our bottom where all of a sudden things that should be applauded wind up just being things that we yawn at right and so instead of going like oh my god once upon a time in hollywood was fucking unbelievable we go that was really good See, now that was a good movie. But then, like, everything below that is shit. Right. No, 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 no. There's a lot of good things that are lesser things than that. Yeah. It's just, I think we need to get more excited when something's a real triumph mm-hmm. and then be more supportive and, like, that was really cool when something was just what it was intended to be. Like, it was just cool. You know, I'm trying to get a little bit more into, like, not shitting on stuff creatively. Yeah. Again, my thing with Euphoria was, like, this real conflicted thing about, man, Eric Dane, God bless him. Love that he's on the show and good for him. Great dude. I hope I beat him in fantasy football this year. (laughs) Um, It's beautiful. Everybody in it's great. I just get this thing where, like, I guess it's because I'm getting old where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about it. its existence in the world for young people. I get really. Right. I, I feel like there's a certain thing, not from the artists involved, but I look at like some of the executives and some of the producers, where I go, "Y'all are some culture vultures, man. Y'all are some exploitive right. motherfuckers." And then there's and- another opinion. I was with Norman the other night, and his son was like, "Those days are what you guys think is this current." relevant weird portrayal that that's dated like euphoria is five years behind where we're at <laughs> these kids are so advanced man yeah these kids it's are like so that's advanced. like an old movie i i have a good friend whose name i won't mention who was having a, a dinner party and i didn't get invited and like a bunch of my friends like not a bunch but like a few of my friends got invited and i was like what like i got a little like 
I wonder why I didn't get invited. And then like I heard about who was all there and I realized like, oh, I'm older than all of them. Ah. Like, I might not have gotten the invite because you're the old I'm dude. I'm old, bro. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, 45 yeah, yeah. is old for some of these dudes. And <laughs> I still feel immature like I'm a 22-year-old kid figuring it out, you know? Right. But um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I hear you going back full circle on the book smart thing, you know, maybe, you know, and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I just thought that she, that Olivia did a great job. I thought it was super fun. I really loved that movie being out in the world for teenagers and, and girls, you know, in college years. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's like a real connective, empowering kind of thing while still being really fun and, and entertaining. And, um, I mean, that's, that's the best kind of shit you can make if you're going to make something fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, so I think she checked like three boxes by pulling that off. And to do that in her debut, pfft props man no it's you tough know? and that soundtrack bling brian ling crushed it yeah crushed it. good job yeah this was fun man thanks you for having come, me by yeah you got to come back we're gonna do this again with some more more films and television shows because i really want to hear your opinion on it great great we'll uh we'll do it and and uh again thanks for having me by and hopefully i'm off my master cleanse by then and i can have uh some your yummy coffee <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of The Love Show. Once again, give us your reviews on Apple, on The Love Show podcast on Apple. And also, if you're not a Patreon, if you can um, join us on Patreon, your support means a lot to us and helps us keep producing the show.